it's in June, June, July, and August. We're going to be spending some time in Psalms. And if you're unfamiliar with the book of Psalms, it really kind of falls right in the middle of your Bible, which is actually nice because sometimes when you don't know what to read, you just kind of open it up and it's a psalm. And a lot of times the psalms may say something that really speak uh, into your life. It's the largest book of the Bible. There's 150 psalms and they're of varying lengths and, and topics and subjects and feelings. But it's the, really the, it's the longest book of the Bible and it's the, it's, the, it's the book that's most quoted by other biblical authors. So we think, you know, we, we, we say that the, the, the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of the scriptures. And so we say the, the, the Holy Spirit inspired all of this writing of all of the scriptures. And so when the Holy Spirit inspires other biblical authors to write other texts somewhere else, he most often re- references what he has said or what's been said in Psalms. And so, you know, so that is important. And not only that, but, but really Psalms... Psalms is, is like this gamut of, of feelings, and it covers everything. I mean, no matter how—I I love it, because no matter how you're feeling, if you're feeling it, like accepted and secure, there are Psalms that talk about that, like the, about feeling the acceptance and the security in God. But then if you're feeling rejected and insecure, there's Psalms that talk about that too. Psalms of joy and thanksgiving, Psalms of grief and sorrow— Psalms of like great abundance, but psalms that are, that are pleading with God for, for provision. Psalms that say, God, you're right here next to me. Other psalms that say, God, where are you? And I just think that no matter where you're at in life and no matter what you're experiencing, whether you feel like you're close to God or far from God or that he's far from you, is actually psalms somewhere in there. You could start reading psalms, and it wouldn't probably take you long to come across one that would resonate with your soul. And we're talking about these, you know, some of these, you know, written, you know, 2,700 years ago. You know, 3,000 years ago. And something tells me about the human condition when somebody can write something 3,000 years prior, and then we read it and go, that speaks about me and my life today. And so this is what, we're going to be doing, and this is what actually specifically I want you to do, is I'm going to, we're, we're going to preach on a psalm every Sunday, and so, you know, today's one, and then we're, I'll preach Psalm 1 today, but we're going to preach a psalm, and then next week it's going to be another psalm, and then another psalm, and what I want you to do is in the mornings, I want you to read the psalm that was preached the, 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 the prior Sunday. And in the evenings, what I want you to do is to read the psalm that's going to be preached the following Sunday. To which you may say, well, how do I know that? I go, well, that's a good question. I have the answer for you, at least for the next few weeks. So you can, you can write this down. It'll be on the recording later as well. But it's going to be, uh, next week it's going to be Psalm 34. The week after that is going to be Psalm 88. So the 7th will be Psalm 34. The 14th is going to be Psalm 88. And the 21st will be Psalm 32. And so 34, 88, 32. And what I want you to do is in the mornings, I want you to read. So like this week, you'd read Psalm 1 in the mornings. And then at night, you would, you would, you would read Psalm 34. And, and if you're, you know, as a household, read it as a household. And ask questions like, what do you see in this? Turn the psalm into a prayer. A lot of the psalms are already prayers. And then to pray the psalm is actually no, no, certainly no extra. It was already a written prayer. And so this morning what we're going to be talking about 
is Psalm 1. Now, Psalm 1 stands at the beginning of all of the Psalms. They were ordered. And many people believe, and I am with them, that believe that Psalm Psalm 1 is an interpretive key. In other words, it's the door, it's the lens in which how we're supposed to look at all the other Psalms. And so it sits in this weird place, and what it does at the beginning is to say, we're going to give you Psalm 1. Some people say Psalm 1 and 2, but Psalm 1 is the lens in which I want you to look through the rest of the Psalms. And so this is why we would even start with Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 really focuses on this idea that there's two paths in life. There's the path of the wicked, and there's the path of the righteous. In fact, actually, even in my, in my Bible, in the ESV, it's actually it's titled, The Way of the Righteous and the Wicked. And so really, the psalm, as it kicks off the, the Psalms, and it's trying to tell us how to, to interpret and understand life, it's actually saying there's, just, there's, there's two paths in life. There's the path of the wicked, and there's the path of the righteous. Now, to which in you, there might be some objections to that. You go, I don't think that's true. I don't know if that's true. Just two paths in life, path of the, the righteous and the wicked. And, I, and sometimes I think there's something inside of us that fights against that idea for two reasons. And, and the first reason is really we've given up on this idea of, of, of total wickedness and total righteousness. For who is really righteous? And who is, who is totally wicked? In fact, even if I were to ask you, uh, and I'm going to ask you this morning, which path do you think that you're on? You go, well, I, I don't know. Like, like I, don't, I don't feel like I'm wicked. But when you ask the second question, well, does that make you righteous? You go, no. And so we feel like there has, there has to be more than two. I mean, I think even you watch now, you watch our, our, hero, like our, our movies, think of, specifically about our superheroes. For those of you guys who love like the Marvel or anything like Star Wars, especially those sorts of like genres, you actually notice how, how the heroes aren't actually totally good anymore. There's, they're, they're, they're conflicted heroes. There's a, there's a war that's waged within them. But you go back 40 years and, and Superman was just all good. But now it's like, but he's, now he's conflicted. And even on the other side of that, then, then no, no one's really truly, like even the villains aren't really truly villainous. They're, 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 there's still some good in them. There's some good in them. And, and even like if you ever saw actually the musical called Wicked, that's the idea. Like she's not really wicked. The, the, wicked, the wicked witch, she's not really wicked. She's just misunderstood. And so even when we have this idea that there's two paths in life, there's the path of the righteous, the path of the wicked, part of us kind of fights about, back against that a little bit because we go, well, but that's not like, that, that's just too, it's, it's just too, too polarizing. Life isn't polarizing like that. The other reason why I think we fight back against that is because we don't believe there's just two ways. I mean, you think about your life, and you think about the options of your life, about the past of your life, the decisions that face you in your life. You're like, two? I got a thousand. I've got, I got thousands upon thousands, and as soon as I decide this, this path, then that's going to raise up four more paths, and then I don't know which one to take. Two? You think to yourself, I would be happy with two. Like, I would, I would find great joy and peace in my life if there were only two paths. And yet Psalm 1 says, there's two paths. The path of the righteous and the path of the wicked. And so which one are you on? And so, 
I would say to you, like, let's not mistake, let's not confuse this idea of options and paths. I think what the scriptures would say, there are two paths. Now, within those paths, lots of options. You're on the path of the wicked, guess what? There's lots of options on how to be wicked. You're on the path of the righteous, there's lots of options on how to be righteous. And so, the question that was going to to frame our time that I think begins Psalm 1 is that which path do you find yourself on? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 1, verse 1, because that's where we're going to start. It says this. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Let me read that again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Blessed is the man. More literally translated is happy is the man. Happy is the man. And I love how Psalm 1 starts off. Happy is the man. Because it doesn't actually start off holy is the man. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't start off faithful is the man. It starts off with this idea of happy is the man. This general idea that, kind of like this universal general idea that we want to be happy. And if I were to sit down with you and I would say to you, do you, is, is, do you want to be happy? You go, yeah, love to be happy. Would you love to, to live a sort of life in which, which happiness took hold of you? Yes, I would love that. Some Christians may say, no, I don't want happiness. I want joy. Like, okay, okay, sure. I mean, yeah, okay. Fine, we can, you know, you know, happiness is circumstances, you know, her circumstances, joy is deeper. I, okay, I get that. But, but you see what it's getting after. Happy is the man. But interestingly enough, happiness is not the goal. In other words, Blessed is the man. Happy is the man. It's actually just going to go, happy is the man who lives like this and doesn't do this. Who does this and doesn't do this. So in other words, happiness is not the goal. It's not you want to be happy, then do these things. Actually, happiness is a byproduct of something else. I think a lot of times what happens in our lives is that happiness becomes the goal. I've heard so many people just end a story and go, I just want to be happy. I just want them to be happy. And I go, but then happiness becomes the goal. And in a weird way, this is the weird thing about happiness. When happiness becomes the goal, it no longer will give us what we want. Happiness will always be, because it's created to be a byproduct of something else. And so when happiness becomes the goal itself, it just crumbles. In fact, each one of you, myself included, but you have m- many stories where you, where you would say to yourself, where you would say to yourself, man, I did that because I thought it would make me happy, and then what did it give you in return? Just a bunch of shame and guilt, yes? You go, how'd that happen? Well, I'll tell you how that happened. Well, lots of reasons why that happened, but one of the reasons is because happiness was the goal. And yet we sit on the, the, the brink of the 4th of July, the celebration of the independence, right, of this country, 
beautiful as we will celebrate the freedom that we have. But what does it tell us? That we have, we have three unalienable rights. The Declaration of Independence tells us, right? Three unalienable rights. What are they? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? Happiness. And really, if you're going to break this down, what it tells you is that, is that you have the three unalienable rights. They work together like this. You have the liberty, the freedom to pursue that which would make you the most happy, which is how you achieve life. You want, you want life? Well, I'll tell you what life looks like. You have the freedom to pursue that which would make you the most happy. That's life. And I go, and, and, and really, beautiful, yeah, yeah, but the problem is there's a major assumption there that I don't think is true, at least of me. And that is that I have the ability to choose that which would make me the most happy. And so we see it here. And what it says, like, not things that we think would lead to happiness. Happy is the man who has a good job. Happy is the man who has enough, you know, money in the bank. Happy is the man who, whose things are going really well for him. It actually starts off with the first thing. Happy is the man who doesn't. Who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. A lot has been made about this, just this verse alone. If you notice, the, there's, a, there's a digression there of walk, stand, sit. Walk, stand, sit. Progressively more lazy, basically. I was walking, and then I was standing, and then I was sitting. One of the commentaries that I read had this idea that it was the, the way you think to the way you behave to the people you commune with, you sit with. But all of it has the same context. It's basically like, who are, who are you with? Who are you walking with? Who are you standing with? Who are you sitting with? Because I'll tell you right now, the happy man does not, does not as, it, as it goes, the wicked, the sinners, and the scoffers, or the mockers, maybe your translation. It's not them. I thought this morning, as, we were, as I was preparing for this morning, so which path are you on? I thought, well, the first question you'd ask yourself is, Look around like, your community, the people that you walk, stand, and sit with. Which path are they on? Because I'll tell you this, the answer to that question is going to help you answer your question of which path that you are on. When I was a, a youth pastor, one of the hot topics that the parents would always want me to talk about was about they talk about, Josh, can you, can you teach them how to, like, basically just say no? How to, how, to, how, to, how to stop peer pressure and what to do with peer pressure and how to say no to peer pressure. And so I was like, so you want me to talk about peer pressure? They're like, yes, please. It's so important. I was like, sure, I could do that. And I get up and it's like, so forget everything your parents told you about peer pressure. I say, give in to peer pressure. And if you can't do that, I would submit to you, it's not a pressure problem, it's a peer problem. 
You go with the flow with your friend group, your community. Where does it lead you? Does it lead you to a place of regret? Or does it lead you to a place of like peace and joy and patience and kindness and goodness? Because you're like, say no to peer pressure because peer pressure gets people to do bad things. I was like, yeah, but there's the thing. I've seen peer pressure also get people to camp, come to faith, learn in community, be loved and healed and restored. So I refuse to to demonize peer pressure. What I will speak about is the peers in which are applying the pressure. And so, the question becomes, who have you surrounded yourself with? You know, if you want to know which path you are on, well, look around. And you tell me, what path is your community on? See, you can't look and say they're on the wrong path, they're on the wrong path, they're on the wrong path. just like everybody who surrounds you is on the wrong path, but then you go, but I think I'm on the right path. I'd submit to you that that's, that's, that's what you say. This is not like you keep community, but they don't, they don't do this. Now, this is what we expect, right? The Bible to be a list of things that you don't do. But then in Psalm in verse 2, it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Happy is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. You ever thought about the law of the Lord? And you're like, yeah! (laughs) Probably not. What it's here is saying, is like a better translation probably is instruction. God's like, I want, I'm, I'm asking you to do something. Does, does doing the will of God bring you joy? Do you seek to be obedient to God? These sorts of things. Does his instruction bring you joy? And on his instruction, do you meditate continually? That's the idea. Day and night. Day and night, which is, by the way, one of the reasons why I say read, the, read Psalm 1 in the day, in the morning, and read, read the other Psalm, uh, you know, at night, day and night. And in between, think about it, always thinking about it, marinating on it, day and night. That's the idea, it's continually. For a while, I used to, I used to feel guilty because I would, I would pray at night, and then I would fall asleep. I'd like, wake up. I'm like, oh my gosh, where was my prayer at? And then I would like get back. I'm so sorry, God. Uh, I was praying about this, and I was praying about that. And I, I would read the Bible, and then like, you know, I'd be like, you know, and, and blessed is the man who, and then, you know, the next thing, you know, it's, I'm dreaming about something else. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I wake back up. Where was I? I was verse 3. That's right. And I feel so guilty. I'm so sorry, God. But I thought, like, blessed is the man. Happy is the man who meditates on God's instruction day and night. Oh, what a blessing it is to fall asleep speaking to my Father. Oh, what a blessing it is to fall asleep reading His instruction. You know, the way that God corrected me on that was basically sort of a line of question. He goes, like, what, what earthly father would be upset when his child fell asleep mid-sentence talking to him. No father I know. 
And dad, I was just thinking. What were you thinking? Hey, wake up. Like, what were you thinking? Like, no, you're like, yes, that's good. Or what good father would be frustrated when his child fell asleep in the middle of a story he was reading him? That's actually kind of sometimes the point of the story, right? What good father would be upset if the last thing their child was doing was speaking to him or the last thing their child was doing that day was hearing from him? None. Happy is the man who meditates on God's instruction day and night. Now, a little bit of a caveat. If every time you read God's word you fall asleep, right? Or if every time you pray to God you fall asleep, that's probably an issue. Much like if every time you, you, you know, your child talked to you, he fell asleep, then you probably should see a doctor, right? I mean, it's, so there is like, it, it can't happen every time. You might want to pick a new time, but the fact that it happens is a good thing because this is what it says on his law. He meditates day and night, seeks him out continually, internalizes God's word. By the way, that's the purpose of memorization, The purpose of memorization is not to to check off boxes for heaven. The purpose of memorization is the internalization of God's word, of his eternal word. Psalm 119, I don't have it up here, but I want to read this to you. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. Jeremiah, when he's speaking about God's word, he says, Your words were found. Listen to how he says this. Your words were found. And I ate them, and your words became a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. And so when you think about which path am I on, the wicked or the righteous? And I go, well, what path is your community on? The other question I'd ask you then is, Does doing God's will bring you joy? Does it bring you joy to know that you are an obedient child to him? The answer to that question is yes. And I go, oh, that's a good thing. The psalmist goes on. Verse 3. He, referring to the blessed man, the happy man, as we know, we'll find out later, the righteous man. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season And his leaves does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. And so he says the righteous is like a tree planted firmly by streams of water. Bears fruit in its season. Its leaves does not wither. In other words, the tree is not not movable. The tree has, has fruit. The tree has the so- is by the source of life, which is water. Its, its, its leaves do not wither. In other words, there's, there may not always be fruit, but there are always signs of life. That even, that, the, that, the, that it has the nourishment because leaves wither when it doesn't get the water. It has the nourishment it needs for the life that it needs. And so you have this idea of it's not movable. It has the nourishment it needs. It produces what it should. It always has signs of life. That's what the happy man's like. That's what the righteous man is like. In other places, 
in the Bible, and we see it in Isaiah, actually followers are, are compared to oaks of righteousness. Oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. And I love that idea because actually in California we get, we get oaks. Oaks are big. And you can, somebody, a car hits a, an oak tree, guess who's going to win? The oak tree. Why? They're not movable. But they are slow growing, right? They can, they can last, but, but, but they, they last for, you know, hundreds of years. In fact, they, they planted some oak trees in Atomas. So I'm like, in 50 years, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> right? And so he takes this whole idea of like oaks of righteousness, oaks of righteousness. And then he goes, oh, and by the way, the wicked aren't so. The wicked... They're like chaff. And if you don't know what chaff is, chaff is really just the casing of the wheat. And it, it, like they, don't want, they don't want the chaff. And so what they would do is they would, you, 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 you would break it up, and then you would just throw it up into the air. And the, 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 because of the weight of the wheat, it falls down. But because there's no weight to the chaff, really, it just a slight breeze will come in and just take the chaff away. And so wherever the wind blows, the chaff goes. And he goes, that's what the wicked are like. The righteous? No, they're like oaks. The wicked? They're like chaff. No weight, no value. I once was talking to somebody about life and trajectories. And they told me, I said, you know, Josh, I'm just like, I'm just trying to live life. I'm like, yeah, that's great. So what does that mean to you? Like, I just, I don't know. I just want to be like a, I want to be like a, like a, like a leaf. Like blowing in the wind. It's like, oh. And they were thinking like, this is like, you know, I should probably post this later because that's brilliant. Good insight. You know, life of a leaf. Hashtag, you know, or, uh, you know, whatever it be. Like, you know, it's just like life of a leaf. Like, Yes. Like, I was going to be like, yes, like a life of a leaf. Just live life, and it will just blow you and take you wherever. But you know what was going off in my head? Warning sounds like danger, danger. Hmm. The wicked are like chaff, blown to and fro. The life of the righteous is not the life of a leaf. The life of the righteous is the life of a tree. And this is what he tells us here. And so he compares the two. Like chaff and trees. And by the way, the world isn't changed by chaff. The world is changed by trees. And so he goes on even further in verse 5. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. And so it should not surprise us now. That actually two, the two paths have two totally different outcomes. And so when he gets to this part of the, of, of, of the psalm, he goes, oh, and by the way, the wicked will not be able to stand in the judgment of the righteous. In other words, 
not because they won't be there, but because they, they, they will not be able to stand. They, they, they won't even have the physical ability to stand in the judgment of God, but the righteous will. The righteous will actually be able to stand in the judgment of God. The wicked are going to melt. And so, let's say maybe collapse. And then he says this thing, is like, and he knows the way of the righteous. More than just, by the way, more than just like a, I know that, like an information thing, but a, a, but a, a thing of like of intimate knowledge. Like God knows the way of the righteous. Because the way of the wicked goes, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I mean, he, he, he knows it like information wise, but he goes, but I, I, I do not resonate with that. I am not familiar with that. And so, Remember. This is coming in Psalm 1 that's telling us what? It's the lens in which we are going to, to look at all of Psalms. And what do we see at the beginning? There's two paths. And I want you to know is that one, that God knows the way of the righteous. There are going to be Psalms that are going to be coming that you're going to hear the psalmist say things like, God, do you even see me? God, do you even know what's happening to me? Have you ever asked God that question? God, do you even, do you even know? Do you, do you know? And if you know, do you even care? Do you see me? And I love Psalm 1, Psalm 1, Psalm 1. Absolutely I do. I'll tell you why I do. Because I know the way of the righteous. That's why. I know you. I see you. And the other thing he tells us up front is that the wicked perish. You know, there's going to be Psalms that are going to come up where they say, why do the wicked get away with everything? Why do the wicked prosper? That's actually a prayer. Why do the wicked prosper? Psalm 1 tells us they don't. They are like the chaff. And so, my question to you is, which path do you find yourself on? And the, I think the questions that will help frame that are, um, the, which is the first, which is what, what, what path is your community on? The second, which is, does, the, does, does God obedience, or being obedient to God, does that bring you joy? And I, I think then the, the third question that comes is, do you resonate more with a tree or a chaff? You go, yeah, I, I feel like a tree. More tree than chaff-like. Those are three good signs. But here becomes the problem. When I ask you the question, which path do you think that you're on? You go, well, probably most in this room would not think, like, I, I think I'm on the wicked path. I mean, maybe some of you would, would actually think that, but, and, and, and that would be a, a really good, like, insight by the Spirit, I think. But I think there's probably a majority of you that goes, like, I, I, don't, I don't feel like wicked's a strong word. Maybe, like, not a great path, not a good path, an undesirable path, not the best path. But if I were to ask you if you're on the righteous path, I think a good majority of you in this room would say, I don't, I don't know, I, I, can't, I can't totally say that either. And I think the reason why you would, why you would say that is because it, it doesn't feel like that. Isn't there like a pretty good path that I could go on? 
And so I think part of the pushback is that it feels at some level, as we would say, self-righteous to say that you're on the righteous path. Right? There's something, it feels a little bit arrogant to say, if it comes down to wickedness and righteousness, I don't feel comfortable with saying wickedness, but there's a sense of arrogance that I feel with saying that I would say, yeah, I think I'm on the righteous path. And so what do we do with that? I think that's why we're actually more comfortable. The reason why we want there to be at at least three is because we would feel much more comfortable with the third. Doesn't give a third. So what do we do with that? 2 Corinthians tells us, as Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, it says about, about God the Father, referring to God the Son, it says that he made him who knew no sin, referring to Jesus, the Father made him who knew no sin to become sin. So that, here's the purpose, this is why God, why would God the Father have the Son who knew no sin become sin? And the scriptures tell us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what Christianity teaches us. For people who think that Christianity teaches us this idea that we are righteous because we are on the, we are on the righteous path because we make righteous decisions, they don't understand Christianity. And if you're a Christian who thinks that you're on the righteous path because you make righteous decisions, I would say you don't understand Christianity, even your faith. And I get it because it's like I do the right things, I'm on the right path. I do the bad things, I'm on the bad path. But the problem is, is that's not what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures teach that, that he who knew no sin, the, one, the, the, right, the righteous one, the only righteous one, God the Father made him the righteous one to become sin, who knew no sin to become sin, so that we might be counted as the righteous ones. And so why isn't it self-righteous to say that you're on the righteous path if you're a Christian? And I said, I'll tell you why. Because it's not your righteousness that puts you on that path. It is only a self-righteous path if it's righteous because you have made your own self-righteous on that path. I'm on the righteous path because I make the righteous decisions. Well, that's self-righteousness. And hear me on this. There are lots of people that are on the wickedness path, that are religious, that are non-religious, that, that believe that they are on the righteous path out of self-righteous, like, like, decisions. But that is not Christianity. And so I think that the the most important question to go, which path are you on, is are are you in faith? Are you in Christ? And if you are in Christ, then you are on the righteous path. You go, well, I don't do righteous things. Like, well, that, okay, yeah, that's probably true. That's true of all of us. Jesus says these crazy things. Do you know that in, in his teaching, what does he say? He, say, he, he actually says there's, there's a foolish man and there's a wise man. Once again, we have two paths. But then Jesus says things like, like, he is, like he is the vine and you're the branches. A tree firmly planted. He goes, I'm, 
I'm, I'm firmly, I'm, I'm the tree, you're the branches. So he, the tree, and then he says things like, I am the, what, the living water. Whoever comes to me and drinks from me will thirst no more. Then he says what? Things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to me except through, so no one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus makes these bold claims. Like that, that he, that he's not even like the, the guide to the way. I will help you on the way. I'll help you find the way. But he actually says himself, he goes, I am the way. He says other places, I'm the gate. I am the door. I am the path. I am the destination. And so for those people who think that, question, are you, are you on the path of wickedness or righteousness? For those that are in Christ, the scriptures clearly teach us you are on the path of righteousness, and not because of your own works, but because of what Christ has already done for you. And so I think that then, in the end, is the, the most important question. This is my, I was like, you don't, you don't choose the way, the way chooses you. You don't choose righteousness. Righteousness has chosen you. He made him who knew no sin to become sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. It said liberty, right? Life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That we have the freedom to choose that which will make us the most happy. And that's where we will find life. The scriptures say something very, very different. What the scriptures say Jesus says, I am the way, right? I'm the way, so you come to me. I am the truth, you embrace me. And what will you find? A restored relationship with God. And what will you find? Life. And do you know what Paul tells us later on in Galatians? He says, you know, you know where you're going to find the freedom that you're looking for? In Christ. See, we start with, with, with freedom. Freedom that, that leads to the pursuit of happiness, that pursues to life. And then what, what Jesus comes along and he says, he goes, no, 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 no. No, it is actually that, that you come to me, that I am the, I am the truth, you embrace me, I will restore the relationship to the Father. And then you will be the blessed man. You will be the happy man. And in that happiness, you know what you're going to find? The freedom. May we all as a community this week not only reflect on which one do we resonate with, which path that we are on, but may we 
we reflect and let this, this pa- like just read Psalm 1 over and over and over again. Meditate on it day and night and let it sink in. For those of you that are here that are not Christians, I can, like what I want to, to, to leave you with is that the thing that you're looking for is Jesus. He's the one that qualifies you. He's the one that makes you righteous. He's the one that calls you. He's the one that restores you. And in him, you will find the freedomness, the freedom and the happiness that you're looking for. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for Psalm 1. We thank you that we see you there. We thank you that you've given it to us. I pray this week, God, that you would, you would confront us in ways that we would ask about the community that we keep. We'd ask questions like, do, do, we, do we find joy and obedience to you? We'd ask ourselves questions like, like do, I, do I resonate with the chaff or the tree? That as, we, as Psalms unfold, we would, we would look at the trajectory of our life, but at the same time know that the path that we are on They have two different destinations, two different goals. They look very different. We thank you, Jesus, that you have, as the way that you have chosen us, may we respond appropriately to you. Thank you for setting us on the righteous path. Thank you for qualifying us for it. Thank you for calling us to it. Thank you for firmly planting us in it. And on that journey, as the the words of the psalmist are going to unfold, that journey, as words of, of God, where are you, God? Do you see me? God, why do the wicked prosper? Why do they thrive while I die? May we be reminded That in you, we find the true life, the true freedom, and the true happiness we so long for. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.